You're listening to the Bookkeepers Podcast with the 6FB, the weekly podcast for bookkeepers. Every week, we'll be talking about what's new in the bookkeeping world. And here are your hosts and founders of the Six Figure Bookkeeper, Joe Wood and Zoe Whitman. Hi, and welcome to the Bookkeepers Podcast. I'm Zoe Whitman. I'm in South Wales, and I'm joined by Joe Wood in Kent. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? Hi, Zoe. Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. Looking forward to our next few weeks of going to London and having some awards events and things. So <laughs> looking forward to a chance to get out and get dressed up. And uh, yes, it's exciting times, isn't it? Oh, I know. Well, congratulations to you, Joe. Joe has been uh, nominated for Large Practice of the Year in the ICB's Luca Awards. We found out Yay. yesterday. Very well deserved. So really excited for you to see what Thank happens. You. And we're also celebrating three or four of the bookkeepers in our community who've been shortlisted as well. Nicola Fallon was shortlisted for student of the year. Louise Ball was on the list, wasn't she? Yeah. Um, just Kirsty. Um, oh, and oh, oh, there's so many people. Actually, and Helen. And yeah, there's more. Actually, when I was starting to look through the list and there's a Stephen, there's loads of people in our community that are up for awards, actually. So um, it's great. We're a fab fab bunch <laughs> i know well we're really excited today to be joined by robin Waite. robin runs fearless business podcast i was on your podcast earlier this week and um you're, you're a business coach and we're going to talk about niching today because it's such a big challenge for our community we talk about niching a lot and i listened to one of your podcasts a few weeks ago you were talking about different ways we can niche and i was like we absolutely have to speak to robin about this so um robin it's really nice to have you here how are you doing yeah, I'm good, thank you. No pressure then, Zoe, obviously. <laughs> Bigging me up already, but yeah, in long time no speak. We chatted on Monday, but super excited, super excited to be here. Oh, well, look, anyone who's watching this live, feel free to come on and ask some questions, because I know we have conversations so regularly about niching and fears about niching and not knowing how to do that. So um, do come and ask your questions, because I think this will be a really interesting conversation. Um, Robin, do you want to start by just telling us a bit about what you do? Yeah, I can do it. I'll try and keep it short and snappy. So um, obviously I, I run, oh, hang on, I need to get my weather girl impression sorted out here. I run Fearless Business, um, obviously, which is a coaching program. Uh, we work specifically with service client businesses, like bookkeepers, funny enough, but also coaches, consultants, freelancers, anybody who's in the time for money sort of arena who is thinking, I work really hard and long hours and I get amazing results for my clients. They love what I do, but I scratch my head each month wondering where all the money is they're kind of our ideal client. And our process is kind of unique. A lot of people these days are focusing on marketing, whereas we 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 deal with marketing later and we focus on sort of fixing the business engine first. And we do that three ways, basically, through um, making sure that we improve your offer. So we productize the service first. So we try and get you out of hourly rate and, and get focused on a specific outcome or result you produce for your clients. Uh, then we shift into the pricing side of things. And that's where a lot of the fear kind of starts to creep in. Uh, people have very locked in sort of money mindsets, which they, they developed as children. So we have to undo quite a lot of um, that side of things. And then finally, if you've got a better product that you're charging more money for, uh, we've then got to dig into the sales side of things. So we call it lead flow, but it's just a process of reducing friction in the sales side of things. Um, and again, it's all, all about confidence really and mindset. That's amazing. Do you mind, can we start? I know we're here to talk about niching, but I'm just wondering, do you want to talk a little bit about how you productize something like bookkeeping? Because I know you work with lots of accountants as well. Um, and I think this, it can be quite insightful because people who are starting their journey, starting a bookkeeping practice, and I definitely did it, and you picked me up on it when we were talking on Monday. Um, 
I went out thinking I'm going to start out as a freelance bookkeeper. That's what I thought. And I will charge an hourly rate and I'll bring some extra money in and it will be a bit of side hustle. Actually, it turns out I was good at finding clients and I grew something bigger than that quite quickly and had to revisit how I charged for it and had to work out what that looked like. Um, but can you explain for us how you would productize something like bookkeeping for anyone who's listening, thinking, I don't understand how this works? Yeah, absolutely. So one one of the I'll start off with a common mistake. So people assume that they need to productize their entire business. Now, bookkeeping is very much like a traditional like inputs and out. I call it an inputs and output business. You put some time in, you get some money back out, and it's like a time for money thing. So, um, the the core product of bookkeeping, you may choose not to productize that. You may keep it as just charging an hourly rate, but it might be that actually just need to do a bit of mindset work to be one of the most expensive in your industry, for example. But where, where you can actually productize it, so something which is quite common in accounting and bookkeeping is people get to the end of their financial year having not kept their books up to date, and then they have this mad panic where they've got to get all of the paperwork together and they've got to get their, their bookkeeper like organized, and they've got to put all the stuff onto zero and QuickBooks and things like that. So you could actually productize that piece. So um, and this is where I'm kind of thinking on my feet now, but you can give it a funky name. So it could be, you know, get your shit together, you know, bookkeeping package, which is like, right, we've got 30 days before our returns due, we've got to get everything organized. And actually, like, it's very much like a, how long's a piece of string at this point in terms of how long would it because like, all businesses are different, right? So when you go through a productization process, it might be that if you work with a specific type of business, small business, that you know that on average, and the keyword is average, it maybe takes you 20 hours to do that GSD type package, get shit done package. Um, then, and then if your hourly rates say 50 pounds an hour, so we take 20, multiply it by 50. On average, you've got a package there, which is a thousand pounds, okay, to get somebody sorted out their year end, books tidied up, ready for the accountants to do the submissions, okay. Um, now, the thing about this is, like, the, out, the, the price you're charging hasn't actually changed at this point. It's still the same. It's just all you've done is you've shifted from what well, I think it might take 20 hours and we'll multiply it by our hourly rate. What we're saying is we're going to give you a specific outcome and we're going to charge a fixed fee for it. Where a lot of bookkeepers struggle is they hate saying big numbers. You work with numbers day in and day out. And then when you get to that crazy number over a thousand pounds, you're like, oh, that's a big number. I'm not sure whether I, I don't have the confidence to say that. But actually, the reality is 20 times 50 is still a thousand pounds, right? It's still exactly the same number that you're saying. It's just much easier to sell lots of 50 pounds because it's a little number and it's there's less friction there, right? So for, the first step is basically we just take your exi an, an existing sort of service, to, like package it up. It's now a thousand pounds. But if you're really good at what you do and you have a system and a process for making sure that you get predictable results, a predictable, really great results each and every time, and now all of a sudden you get known for doing that. So you're known as the GSD person who fixes the, the books up like when we haven't done any bookkeeping for 12 months. Then all of a sudden you're going to start to get the demand there. And actually, if you've noticed, we're already talking about niching here, by the way, because this is part of it, a product, keep it, building a product niche for yourself. So you'll get known for it. And so people are like, oh, you, you, oh, you've got a problem. You should go and speak to Zoe. She has this great product. And then what happens is we've we've artificially introduced um, uh, a load of demand for this one specific outcome or result. Now, as we know, supply and demand economics, right? When there's lots of demand for something and most bookkeepers, it's just them. So supply is limited. There's, they've only got so much capacity, especially in January, because everybody wants all of their books up, updated at that particular point in time. 
So um, we have an opportunity then, if we've got so much demand, we can start to look at increasing the prices. And this is where you then start to really shift into sort of the mindset and confidence side of things. So I, I need one of you to unmute because we're just going to play a little game and I'm, I'm actually going to demonstrate live how you would go about picking a price for a package once you've designed it, okay? So it looks like Joe's, Joe's been brave. You've been fearless. Or stupid, <laughs> one or the other, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, honestly, it's, it's, I'm not going to, I'm not, it's all fine. Don't worry, don't swear. Okay. So you and I both agreed that we've got this product now that's a thousand pounds, okay? Okay, I'm not mm -hmm. influencing you anyway at all, Joe, but you've got this product yeah. now for £1,000 and you think there's lots of demand. Joe, do you think you could sell it for more? Would you like to sell it for more? Is there a world where you could sell it for more? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, okay. If we sold it for 10k, is that beyond the realms of possibility? Oh, it's feeling mm -hmm. a little bit, but oh, okay. it's possible, but it's getting high, isn't it? Right, yeah. So what, we, what we've done here is a lot of people see pricing as being what I call binary. It's either too cheap or too expensive. It's a yes or it's no. I'm in or I'm out. Okay. But actually, we've just created a bandwidth, Joe. Like, imagine like from A to B. So we've got from a thousand pounds, like, which is like that, I'm not charging enough, to 10,000 pounds, which is where you're like, mm, there's a world where I could do that. But I think right now I'm not quite ready for that. So a thousand to 10,000. Okay. What we're going to do though, Joe, is um, I'm going to do a little auction with you. Now, you don't have to say anything. You could choose to if you want to, but you don't have to say anything. I'm going to know what price point is just inside your level of confidence and just outside your comfort zone, okay? okay. So we're going to start at 1,000 pounds. You just you have to look at me and just, you know, say 1,200 pounds, 1,500 pounds, 1,800 pounds, 2,500, 3,000, okay. So your level of comfort, everybody's like, what on earth just happened there? <laughs> Every, everybody, ha like poker face, right? Everybody has a tell, okay? And your your body, you actually just tightened up a little bit when I went between two and a half and three thousand pounds. You did an extra blink on top of the other blinks <laughs> you were doing. So it's just, it's. I'm not, I'm not like a Darren Brown or anything, but it's just nuances, like tiny little nuances of body language. And I've done this exercise enough now to be able to spot them. So two and a half K was actually just inside your comfort zone. Three K mm -hmm. was just outside. Mm -hmm. Now what you do is you just um, essentially it's better to pick the one just outside your comfort zone because that stretches you. That's where growth comes from when you're operating outside of your comfort zone. That's where you learn something new. Oh, I can do this. Okay. So, and this is where like a lot of people watching this and go, God, we've just three X Joe's prices here. This is remarkable. Joe's still got to get out there and sell something now for three K. And this is where a lot of people get tripped up because they think right now I've got, I'm feeling confident. Robin's giving me a bit of a, I'm ready to go three K. Yep. Got this. And clients are like buses. Okay, so you'd be waiting for ages for a client to say yes at your new price point, and they're all saying no, and then you're you're sat there thinking, oh gosh, maybe I am too expensive. The the fear starts to creep in. Maybe Robin was wrong, and Joe doesn't know what she's talking about, and this, that, and the other. So we start to doubt ourselves. The reality is, though, for any kind of service client business like this, a good conversion rate is actually somewhere between. I'm wary that I've been talking an awful lot, but hopefully this is good stuff. Um, a good conversion rate for a service client business is somewhere between one in five and one in three. Okay, so we'll, we'll round those numbers to make it simple. Somewhere between 20 and 40%, okay? If you're converting more than 40%, the likelihood is that you're too cheap. So that's a good indicator that you're not charging enough. And actually, if you think about it, if you're, for every client you take on, if you're turning away four, you're, you're actually, in a good business, turning away far more prospective clients than you're actually taking on. And that is for one reason. It's to, it's to look after um, your, your ability to supply your capacity, okay? 
if like lots of people will be like, wow, like that's rubbish, Robin. I'm a really good salesperson. I'm converting like 90% of people. Listen, if you're if you're converting like a majority of the people you're taking on, the needle is dialed in so far over here, you can't improve on it. It's not giving you any useful data or feedback. So when you're when you're converting somewhere between one in five and one in three, so 20 and 40%, the needle's floating around over here. So as you get better and more confident and you you're closing some deals and, and Joe's like, yes, I've got this. You'll, you'll start to see that conversion rate will start to go up. Ah, we've gone over 40%, right? We need to put our prices up. We'll go up to 4.5K now for this product. We'll go up to 6K and gradually it'll come back down a bit, naturally, supply and demand. And you get more confidence, you'll sell a few, it's enough. off it goes again. And so we keep on adjusting it. We've seen people in the space who have aggressively tested their pricing. So they'll be adjusting their price every four to six weeks. Most people adjust their price once a year, once every two years, and maybe they put it up by five or 10%, right? We talk about, we go, we test and we validate and we iterate very quickly every four to six weeks so that we hit that sort of sweet spot. Um, and the one in five sort of, um, uh, my, my point about buses here. So if you're closing one in five, so you're gonna close two clients in every 10, for example, um, it's normally like client nine and 10 that say yes. And you've got to go through an enormous amount of rejection and grow thick skin before you start to get the yeses. But the thing is now, right now we're selling a product for three times the price we were selling at before. We need far fewer clients at this price point to make the same profit within our business. So what does that mean? It means you've now got more time to deliver a better quality product, which means you get better results, which means you get more referrals. So there's this like really virtuous cycle, which you end up creating. Oh, my goodness. That's so powerful. I could see Joe making notes while we were talking about that. Um, one of the things our, a lot of our bookkeepers are using pricing software to price their clients. Um, if they were thinking about doing this, would they be, you know, you were talking about like uh, practices who were changing their prices every six to eight weeks. You're doing this just for new clients to test your sales call conversation and what you're including in that package so that you can test whether it's working and what you need to change about the way you sell it to be able to sell more of them. Is that right? That's it. Absolutely. There's always there's always two different types of client within our business, existing clients and new business and new businesses who've not been exposed to your prices. And I'd actually recommend as well. And this is always quite a controversial statement, but I'd recommend if you're going through this process of if you, if you game and you want to do what Robin's teaching you now, take your prices off your website. Stop giving prices out through Messenger and, and WhatsApp and stuff like that. Get comfortable getting people onto sales calls and giving them the big number, like making that pitch. Because you could you could pitch it, uh, let's, I mean, if we were to stick with the hourly rate, for example, you could pitch at £60 an hour today, you could pitch it to the next people tomorrow at £70 an hour. So you could actually test, like, you'd have to wait four or six weeks or a year, you just test, like, straight away. And if those new pro uh, prospects haven't been exposed to your prices, it, it creates so much more opportunity. Just a lot of people don't have the confidence to be able to do this. What I will say as well, like, with your existing client base where you've got people locked into maybe the retainers or at a specific hourly rate, there is still a great amount of opportunity there. You'll get resistance. Don't get me wrong. It becomes a bit of a, a sort of a PR, a goodwill exercise, really, when you put your prices up with existing clients. But um, the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants produced some statistics a couple of years ago. Um, and beca because there's this compounding effect, which happens as money trickles down through the profit and loss account. I'm speaking to bookkeepers here, so I can just I can use the jargon, the lingo. They'll all get it, hopefully. So um, most people assume that if you increase your prices by, say, 10 percent, 
that you need to just, you need to, you can actually get away with selling 10% less of the same thing to make the same net profit. But that's not true because of this compounding effect, you increase your prices by 10%, you can actually have 22% fewer clients or sell 22% fewer hours and still make the same net profit. Okay, so one of the best places to be is actually to be like, um, you know, making double the money with half the clients. Because then it's just life is like it's just a bit more peaceful and relaxing. And like we we get into business right to have fun. We don't get into business to create a job for ourselves that is stressful and overwhelming. And if you're actually really brave with it, if you start to move out into maybe I'll do a 20% price increase or you know, now at 20%, I think you've got to sell something like 42% less to make the same net profit. And you get into the realms of a 30% price increase, it's something like 50 or 60% like less of the same thing. So you wow. can have like double the income, half the clients. Yeah, and it's it's so true. I, I know of a an, an accountant in industry. She doubled her price for all of her tax returns, um, and she and she lost some, but she but actually she said even if I lose half of them, I'm still making more. Like it doesn't matter. Uh, it, and and it really and it worked out. She's like I'm actually half of them are going to stay with me, and they did. But she's doing half the amount of the work for the same price. So then she could give them a better service and it makes so much yeah. sense. So you're talking, I went straight onto my uh, software to see what my rates are. And I have actually produced 10 proposals in the last 30 days and I've won two of them. So that one in five, um, I was like, am I too cheap? So yeah, so that's that's good. I'm, I might have my third one, so it might be three out of 10. But Joe, um, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you you're doing it wrong, but <laughs> don't sell proposals, sell calls. Okay. Oh yeah. I don't, oh no, no, that's right. I don't sell. Sorry. I sell, uh, I sell a chat with me, basically. I sell the yeah. call and, um, and then they, and then they get a proposal at the end of the call. But ah, I was just checking you, my proposals. Ah, no, but the thing is, do you book a follow-up call with them where you go through the proposal with them and actually close them on the call? So they get a live proposal on my call and yep. they get sent the thing. My problem is I don't nice. do the follow-up. I do a live proposal and I get them to say, so I go through, do you want this bookkeeping? How many, do, I'm quite transaction based. I'm not hourly rate. They get the value proposition really and monthly yes. recurring. And it's a, a 30 day contract really. They can, they, I don't tie people in, but it does mean that it's fluid with numbers. And I let them know in the call as well, these prices will go up as your business improves and gets better and you have no. more money. Um, but yes, I'm not very good at the follow up. I could convert more, but I'm very, but what happened like uh, yesterday, someone come back to me, I'd spoken to her six months ago and she said, I'm ready now. And they yeah. chased me later on, but I don't, I think I could mostly convert more earlier, but I'm quite happy with that as well. Okay. Um, but I don't know what you think about that. That sounds absolutely spot on, Joe. I think the way you're doing it, I think the follow-up call is important because it just means you get that sort of temperature check to see how how they're going now. And even if it is a well, let's wait for six months and see where we're at. But I know that I, I know that. Um, so I mean, again, I'm going to make a sweeping generalisation here, and you can both stop me if I'm out of out of turn by saying this. But um, I know a lot of bookkeepers are very sort of introverted people, and it's easier to send out a proposal to clients rather than actually have that awkward awkward conversation on a call where they tell them how much the product is. You people like if you're listening to this, you're going to get much better results sales wise if you get comfortable saying those big numbers on a call because you can actually gauge it. Then you can see whether somebody's eyes pop out of their head or whether they're nodding in, a, in agreement like Joe's doing now with me, you know, and things like that. So um, and, and you can also handle any objections or concerns that they might have. Like in the moment, they might say, oh, gosh, that's expensive. If you sent them a proposal, you're never going to understand 
why you, you one you won't hear the objection but you want also won't understand why so they may say oh gosh that's expensive because they've got quotes from three other bookkeepers okay so there's like the comparison thing going on here and i i'm not a big fan of beauty parades i would always rather be the most expensive and mm -hmm. but people realize that value for, for themselves but the other thing might be that they just they may have a they may come into the sales call with an idea about how much bookkeeping costs having not spoken to any other bookkeepers and then all of a sudden they're comparing you to I don't know, like having a gardener or a cleaner, which we know is lower value, or maybe to, I don't know, a lawyer who is much more extraordinary value, for example. Um, I've had I've had um, clients who, um, before they've worked with me, been, been told that they're too cheap on a sales call. You know, yeah. again, which you can't get that through a proposal. Um, no. and, and as a result, they've been able to negotiate more work as a result of that. So um, yeah, there's, it's the nuances of sales is, um, is really, really interesting. Is it okay if I bring you back to the, you were talking about productizing at the beginning of the call and we were talking yeah. about this, this idea that you could bring businesses into your world who haven't done any bookkeeping for a year and you have this sort of 20 hour package or whatever you need to do to deliver this outcome and you build this as your £1,000 or your £3,000 package. Is that how, is that one way then, is that one way that we can start to niche to design these kind of packages like what else could bookkeepers do to build out products for their businesses? Yeah, well, niching is the kind of the key to it, really. So you've got the you've got actually got three different ways that you can niche in a business. And like a, a lot of the gurus and experts out there, they focus very heavily on the ideal client, i.e. the market niche. OK, so that's the first one. Uh, good for them. Um, but it also means that I have a job to do as well, because I deal with the other two as well. Um, like, okay, yes, they're absolutely right. I'm kind of kind of mocking it there a little bit. But they're absolutely right. You do need to have an idea about who your ideal client is. Okay. Because otherwise, you're, you're a jack of all trades, you know, uh, um, rather than being a master at sort of one. Um Just at a very basic level, imagine you walk into a room full of 100 people, 100 business owners, right? And you've got to do your 60 second pitch. And I don't know, your, your normal networking event, you're going to have a mixture of lawyers and accountants, bookkeepers, business coaches, consultants, you know, pr uh, printing businesses, like all of these different businesses in that room, right? But let's say, for example, there's 10 business coaches in that room. And you stand up in front of that room and you say, uh, I'm a bookkeeper, yay. Um, but I specialize in helping business coaches to optimize their business through keeping their books up to date so that they can focus on Da, da 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 If there's 10 business coaches in that room, who do you think is going to hear that message? Whereas if you just say I'm a bookkeeper and I help businesses, like actually you're going to, you know, there's, there might be a hundred people in the room, but actually none of them are going to hear it. So it's just that simple process of saying who it is that you work with. Now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of like the niche within the niche within the niche. Um, so if you can drill that down further, so maybe not just, I don't know, maybe not business coaches, maybe it's female business coaches uh, who are in their 40s. So you can like go a little bit deeper based on demographics and psychographics and things like that. Um, but wherever you can, like try and just keep on filtering down and filtering down and filtering down because and you want to kind of get down to a point whereby there's, there's only, I don't know, maybe somewhere between five and 10,000 businesses in, in the country, in the UK, in that specific niche. Because, and that sounds really dumb, right? Because it means that we've just said goodbye to six and a half million businesses in the UK to focus on just five or 10, but those five or 10 will hear us when we say their name. That's the most important thing. So the second type, of, so that's market niche. The second type of niche is product niche. So this is where now we do one thing 
really bloody well for one specific audience, one specific type of client. Okay. So if it's that, that fix it product that we talked about for a thousand pounds that we, that's all we do. I mean, if you do, if you do that piece, well, you're going to get follow on work from that. You're going to get people sign. They're like, right, great. Now we fixed it. We, um, so I always talk about, um, the aim model AIM. So, um, assessment, implementation, and maintenance. Okay. And this is the journey that each of your clients should go on. So first of all, we're going to assess the need for whether we're a good fit or not and see where your business is at and whether I can help you with your books. Then we shift to implementation, which is where we work on the core product, that 20 hour get, get stuff done product to get you back into shape. So we're ready to work together. Then we shift into maintenance, which is where we have some kind of a, an ongoing, you know, that's where we build sustainable recurring revenue. And most, most bookkeepers are pretty good at doing that because they have people signed up to retainers. Um, but the, it's that it's having that one specific product, you know, that does that solves one specific like full and it offers a full and remarkable solution with great results and outcomes, predictable outcomes um, for your clients. It's hard to kind of nail down, by the way. Uh, sorry, Zoe, I think. Did you have a question there? I, well, I was just going to jump in. And I think that um, so you so you've productized. I love this. I love it. So you could go out and it makes it really clear with anything you're marketing, because you can go out and you can talk to your room of small business owners or hopefully go and find a small business event where all of these people who are your ideal client who are in the room anyway rather than some generic business networking breakfast go into a room full of your ideal client and say hey I've got this package for you it costs this I'm going to take you from here to here come and work with me and then they do that and then they become ongoing clients it's yeah. it seems like a no-brainer doesn't it my accountant, when he sold me, uh, I know this is different to the booking sort of space. My accountant, when he enrolled me as a client, there's a couple of very simple things which he did for me. One, he didn't sell me anything. Okay. The second thing he did was he said, listen, let me just, I know you, you use zero. He said, let me just have a quick look at your zero. So this is the, the audit um, assessment phase of AIM. Let me just have a quick look at your zero and see if there are any quick wins. So hmm, intriguing. He went into my payroll. I'd just taken on my first hire and I'd forgotten to tick the box, which um, opened me up for the £4,000. Um, I'm going to, this is where I lose, lose the technical side of things. But Employees, national insurance allowance. Yeah. Yep. 4K. So without me having paid him a penny, without me having committed and signed the contract, he saved me four grand. So I was like, you're hired. Didn't care what price it was at that point. Yeah. So, and that was his his full and remarkable solution was to find a quick win in your in your books, basically, that you, you could make a, you could make money or save money in some way, shape or form. All of the bookkeepers in your group can offer something like that. And it's what we call I call it an unrefusable offer. It's something that is just like just blows their mind so that they have no choice but to sign up to you. Most people want a commitment. They want a contract signed and a commitment financially with a go-card as direct debit signed up before they start adding value. I believe that actually if you're good at what you do, you should just deliver value like and that and that's it. I just I, talking about that, I had a, a proposal call yesterday with a guy, and um and in that call he said I was like triple more expensive than the other book he'd spoken to but I'd asked a lot more questions and um was more in like I was I was more intrigued about his business I wanted to know more and actually after the call I came off the call I did some research with HMRC and I went back to him and said uh, you know great call and everything but I gave him some advice on how he was running his VAT and I said I've done I had to go away and do my research because I didn't know it at the time but I'm worried that you're doing something really wrong. 
anyway, he phoned me this morning. He said, oh, this has been niggling in my brain, but my, my accountant said it's okay. But actually, the more you talking about it, he said, I've done some research myself. And he said, no, I need to go VAT registered. I am playing with fire. And he said, thank you so much. And then this afternoon he signed up and he, yeah. and I was three times more, but that, exactly that, that, that adding that value before the sale or, or I mean I had obviously given uh, given him the, the cost but I'd gone away and thought no if I'm gonna ever work with this guy he needs to know this that I'm not gonna let him carry on not being VAT registered and actually I'm gonna have to go back now and change my proposal because we're now gonna be doing VAT returns so it's gonna be more expensive than the three times more than he was expecting to pay but he's he's more than happy so I absolutely do not be scared I think lots of bookkeepers are introverted exactly like what you said and then they protect their knowledge to the nth degree. And the, unless someone's going to do that exchange, but people have to know, like, trust you and actually understand what your value is going to be. They need to, you know, a lot of people um, don't trust themselves to make a good decision. So you have to give them that bit of value so they know, yes, this is the right decision. And th these are the people I need to work with. And actually, if he'd have walked away and I'd have helped him be better, he'll still remember me down the line. So, um, so yeah, absolutely, hundred percent agree. And and I love the fact that you talk about like niching within a niche within a niche. And um, and it's 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 so true because so for me, yes, I've got the industry niche. I work with salon owners, beauty salon owners. I work with other companies as well, not just them, but that's who I talk to, and that's where I get my most referrals from. But again, I only I niche within what software we use. And we talk to our bookkeepers about this. Like, do not be the jack of all trades with regards to all the markets, all of the industries, and then say, oh, whatever software you're using, I'll use whatever you're using because then you're watering down. So I see that me only being 100% zero, only 100% DEX, 100%, all of my, my app stack is my app stack. And I will not. So that is a second part of my niche. And actually, I hadn't realized but I don't do self-assessment tax returns unless someone's buying everything from me. So I do actually have a product niche with my management accounts package, but and I'm now not thinking oh, it needs a name. I haven't come up with a name. It's just what I do. But actually everybody receives exactly the same. They might be bigger, they might be smaller, but they all receive the same. I love the idea. Okay. So you've told us two: the market yeah. and the product market and the product niche. And then the third one then is the pricing niche. And really, really the pricing niche is if you do the first two right, the third one happens as a byproduct because then you could be the most expensive in the market. And I like that sounds like a really dumb thing to say, right? Because um, it's, it's slightly profound that you could be the most expensive in the market. Okay. But most people are afraid of that. There's probably 20 bookkeepers in your town. And when they were deciding what their prices were going to be, you know, they all looked at one another and Zoe looked at Joe and Joe looked at Dave, Dave looked at Steve, Steve looked at Trisha and Trisha looked back at Zoe. So which one of those five people is actually an expert in pricing? None of, well, you're all numbers people. So you're actually probably more, more of an expert than most business owners out there. But the answer is nobody, nobody's Robin, nobody's the pricing guy, right? So, um, and the thing is like Trisha, if you choose to copy her prices, could be losing money. So we're going to copy the prices of a fundamentally flawed business model, right? Just doesn't make sense when you start to think about it. Also, like Dave, he's the most expensive in the market, right? But there's a little clue in, in his setup, okay? He's been around the longest. He's got the most Google reviews. He has tons of referrals coming in. And he's not short of business, yet he's the most expensive. So I'm just going to say that again. He's the most expensive and he's still able to get clients. 
So surely we should not we should ditch Trisha's business model because she's screwed. She's not charging enough, and we should look at Dave because Dave's super successful and he's making loads of money. Okay, and we what it is is we rather than stop ourselves and go, I couldn't possibly charge what Dave charges because I'm not as experienced and I don't have the certifications and I don't have this and I don't have that. But if you believe in the value which you deliver, that is enough. If you believe you can get great results for your clients. And it's not unethical, it's not crossing ethical or moral boundaries to charge what Dave charges, charge what Dave charges, because you're going to have a really super successful business that way. But it does help if you've cornered your market niche. And I love what you said there, Joe, actually, because you said, well, I specialize in salon owners, but actually I get other clients as well. And this is the same for me. So I specialize in coaches, consultants and freelancers. Okay, so I have thought three broad verticals which I work within. Um, most of my marketing is actually targeted at coaches, believe it or not, but I attract the others just by virtue of the fact that somebody says, oh, I see you're doing that for coaches. Could that work for my business? So we, I do a load of work with ex and serving police officers who want to set up their businesses. I work with dog trainers and dog groomers. I work with medical aesthetics businesses like you. I have a couple of salon owners who we've worked with, um, because they've seen the great work that we do in the coaching space. Um, so when you niche, you actually become more attractive to other businesses because you're doing a better job, which is, again, people just look at that and they go, they can't quite figure it out, but actually it makes sense. I think one of the challenges that probably comes up is, am I going to lose business? Am I going to restrict my growth? What would you say to someone who's asking those kind of things? It's a good thing to lose business, basically. It's the short answer of it. Okay. Now I'll, I'll caveat that. I'll, in fact, I'll give you a real world example. Okay. It's a different um, industry um, to bookkeeping, but sim similar in some respects. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I did some work with a, a web design business. Um, it's actually how I started out in the coaching space because I ran a, an agency, marketing agency for, for 12 years. And we used to do web design and branding and people saw how we productized that in the latter part of um, me running that agency before I sold it, not for a great sum, but enough for me to start, set up the coaching practice. But I had a web design company who wanted to know a bit more, like in, introduce some of the changes that I'd made into their business. And they were charging, they're doing WordPress websites and they were charging eight pound a month for care plans, like support you know, for their websites. And I was like, eight pounds, nothing. This is a few years ago. Um, but their goal, and this is where you also need to take a much more of a goal focused approach to your business to work out how many clients you can work with and things like that. So I said to them, what are your goals then? What do you want to achieve? And they said, well, we want to earn 3000 pound a month from just care plans so that they had a young family so that we could spend time with our kids six weeks over the summer. So we didn't have to enroll a single new client. We just live off the, off the care plans. <laughs> There's the cat. Um, and uh, so I did some quick maths and I said, took 3,000, divide it by eight. And I said, great, so you've got capacity for 400 clients then. And of course, the international sign of distress went out. No, Robin, don't be ridiculous. Can possibly work with 400 clients. Just you know, we were, it's like, well, how many can you work with? And they said, well, about 100. And that was close enough what, what their client base was at, at that point. And I said, great, well, how could you how could you increase capacity? How could you work with more people? Oh, we could hire somebody. I said, well, one, you'd need three more people to get to the 400 clients. And I said, can you really afford to hire people on 3K? Surely it's like, that's just the money gone. It's just not going to work. So we're left with no choice but to look at the pricing model. And um, we work, I, I basically just pushed them with no real thought into the matter. I was just like, listen, this worked for me. Charge 50, minimum 50 pound a month moving forward. Oh, I could possibly do that, but we'll try it. So they approached their existing client base with this new price increase, gave them plenty of notice. And there were, there were three things which happened off the back of this, okay? And the, the, the third one was like a real pixie dust moment. It's like, ah, oh, oh, that's sweet. I like that. So the first thing that happened was 40% of their clients left. Ooh, bit of a disaster. Um, but our revenue, and this is the second thing, the revenues went up by two and a half times. 
So fewer clients, more money. Perfect. The third thing, which was like a proper Brucey bonus, their support calls dropped by 80%. So the 40% of the clients who left took all of their problems, bitching and moaning with them. And they got fewer calls because the, the clients who stayed were the ones who really valued them and really understood how they worked. They didn't, they need them, their expectations were met. They had regular calls with them and they were able to add more support time into that. So, and into that 50 pound a month basic package. And it, it still took them a while. It still took them 18 months, but they managed to hit their 3K minimum. And, and, and then you get more like stuff that starts to happen when you get into the pricing side of things, which are all like just Brucey bonuses. Um, so uh, Rich was able to move out of his home office and go and rent an office in Portishead, which is where they're based. Uh, he was uh, Clifton, sorry, is it Clifton or Portishead? I always get it wrong. I think I know who you're talking about. And I think yeah. that they're in Clevedon. Clevedon, that's the one. I knew it was, it, yes, there we go. Yeah, so it was close enough geographically. But yeah, you do know how I'm talking about. So Rich got his own office. Um, they were able to move house and get a bigger house for them and their family. And then also, um, I believe Amy's now um, managed to quit her job, or at least has gone down to part time so she can spend more time working with that within the business, Anorak Cat, who are a web design business. So um, all of those are just like, because they made that really brave decision at the start to put their prices up and be like, just go with it. It's had all of these really positive knock on impacts over the last three or four years. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And I think that's just such a great example of the difference it can make. And I think probably for most of our bookkeepers, the clients who are the pain in the bum clients are the ones who are most price sensitive as well. So yeah. I think that's just a lesson that just covers all industries um robin this has been so valuable for everybody um thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this i think we've i've been making notes i like i'd like to do a little sum up post after this but i think there's so much so much we can share about what we've been talking about today um robin how can people find out about you and connect with you uh, if they want to do that yeah, sure. Well, um, a little gift for everybody who's listening. I probably am going to end up having to buy more books because I know you've got a lot of members in your group. Um, but yeah, oh, you've put it on the screen there. So the, the the blue book, which you see over my shoulder there, Take Your Shot, explains the whole sort of um, concept of productization and and around pricing and things like that. And it's only a short book, it's only 100 pages long, but it's told and it's told as a parable. So uh, if people want to get hold of a free copy of that, um, go to fearless.biz forward slash TYS. I think my arm's going to get tired, but I will sign a copy before I stick it in the post as well Aww. to you. Um, and then if for anybody overseas outside the UK, I don't know if you've got any clients um, in the group sort of outside, you, but it's just yeah. a PDF. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, or you can give me an ethical bribe and I will still sign and post a copy. Um, it just has to be more than the value of the postage. That's all. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the best bet. And then obviously I'm on usual sort of channels, YouTube, um, uh, Instagram and LinkedIn. Just just go and search for Robin Waite and you'll find me on there. And of course, listen to the Fearless Business podcast as well, which just has so much, so much knowledge and value in it. Absolutely. And some really brilliant guests as well, Zoe. <laughs> in a few weeks time, I think I'll be on there. Yes. So we'll share the link. Absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Well, Robin, thank you so much for your time. And for everyone who's joined us today, I've seen lots of you joining us live. Thanks for being here. Um, if you want to find out more about what we do, the best place to connect with us is in the Six Figure Bookkeepers Club. It's our free community of bookkeepers. We've got nearly 3,000 members in that group now. Come along, join us every week for the podcast, find out more about what we're doing, and most importantly, be part of a community of bookkeepers who are growing their businesses just like you. We will see you next week for another podcast. Take care. Bye. Bye.
Cheerio. Don't forget to join us every week on the Bookkeepers Podcast for topical bookkeeping chat. Why not join our free Facebook group, the Six Figure Bookkeepers Club, or visit us at sixfigurebookkeeper.com.